0: Can we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for what you've already done and for what you've already spoken. Lord, I thank you that adjustments are already made. We don't wait to go home and then we think about it. What you said is done. And I thank you for that. In the name of Jesus Christ, may we honor your word together and hear with revelation in our hearts. Amen. I've been vacillating while I'm sitting there in the front seat, to be honest, I'm not sure if God was wanting me to share what I had prepared or wanting me to share something else entirely, and I'm looking at the clock, and let me ask you a question. Can we remember where we've been if we come back to it next week? (laughs) We'll pray for you, Andrew. Friends, body life is extremely important, extremely important and people don't always want to talk about body life but it's vital there's a specific mandate over the church over this church and there's a specific mandate over every church and when you deal with body life we don't deal with it because we're trying to have a successful church we deal with it because we want to stay faithful to the mandate that God has placed over this church and as I said no matter where you are no matter where you may go if you don't like this series do it there and if God has placed you here, do it here. Amen? I encourage you. It's something absolutely vital. So I think we will try. We will attempt to actually speak about body life. I was going to speak about something else, but the Lord is speaking to me and saying I should not. So go to the book of Joshua, please. We will not get through everything that I have this morning because I want to honor your time as well. But, and Kathy, well done. Well done. Really well done. And uh, you did a great job. And uh, they've even, and I don't know if I'm supposed to say some of this, but there's a possibility that they've offered some positions and stuff perhaps into the future of chaplain and other things. It's just an amazing thing what God's doing there. So well done. And Marsha heard great things about the Women's Retreat. And Devin, you're doing a great job with the worship. It's great watching you come through. Amen. All right. We're talking about building cultures, so let's go to the Word. We're talking about building cultures of what it is to, to have cultures so that we can walk into where God has us. Now, if you haven't been here the last two weeks, for the sake of time, I cannot recap. I cannot. The real word is recapitulate. Derek Prince used to love it. I don't have the time for that. I would just encourage you, go find it, listen to it. Uh, Please go and listen to it. We've been in Numbers 13 and 14, and as you know, I love to read the Scripture. I struggle sometimes when preachers become motivational speakers instead of reading the Word of God in public, and uh, so we love to do that. But just for the sake of time, in Numbers 13 and 14, very briefly, I believe... It's a very, very crucial moment, a very, very crucial story. And I'll tell you why. It's because 1 Corinthians says that these things happened to Israel as warnings. So, and it says, and their bodies were scattered all over the desert for 40 years. Now, why is it so important? Because Numbers 13 and 14, very simply, is the turning point in a group of believers, so to speak. We look at the Old Testament through New Testament lenses. It's the turning point of whether they chose what God had for them or not. And because of what happened in Numbers 13 and 14, the 40 years took place. They were given 40 years in the desert, one year for every day that they touched God's promises and could not believe for it. 40 days in the land of Canaan, the spies, therefore 40 years in the desert. We've chatted about some of this. I encourage you to go back. So Numbers 13 and 14, when I read it, I'm looking at it saying, friends, it's not a pressure. It's not a heavy you must do better. It's not that. We need to hear it through eyes of grace, through ears of understanding our Father is good. Amen? But with the thing to say, Lord, there's we're 14 years old now as a church. And there are promises that God has for us that I think sometimes we think, well, God's just gonna supernaturally move, God's gonna do stuff. Now there are seasons like that, but there's certain times God waits for us, and there's certain times we wait for the Lord. And We don't want to go round and round and round a mountain, like they literally did in the desert. And so I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, what do you have for us? How are we going to actually go in? Why, friends? Because in Numbers 13 and 14, they had God's power. Have we seen God's power here? Yes. Have we seen his presence? Do we have, in a sense, the presence of the Lord? Yes. Are we trusting for more of that? Yes. Do we let that go so we can do what I'm talking about? Heck no. It's the best way I can say it. No. But, but, there's something about being established in the spirit, which is very important, versus being established in the natural, which is also very important. And I feel that body, we've been established in the spirit to some degree, but it's time to become established in the natural. Let me ask you this question. If God added the 3,000, like he did in the book of Acts, could we handle it? No. Because there are certain structural things that we need to put in place. And people say, well, they didn't have it in place in in the book of Acts. So why do we have to have all this administration? Because the culture put it in place in the book of Acts. The culture was everyone eat together, everyone live together, everyone discipline each other's children. Whole different culture. We don't have that culture. Hello? Hello? So we've got to do the best we can with the culture that we have to put in place the things so that the blessing of God can be maintained when it comes. And that we can live in it as a lifestyle. Yes? Yes, Clayton. Great word. Why, thank you. So, I just want to encourage you. What we're going to look at is very, very important. Now, I believe the desert is a gift. And people don't like saying that. I've never seen like that like that before but as I've began to study these chapters it in a, in a good way rocked my world and I've probably read them 30, 40, 50 times and you know why? It's because the desert season is a gift to us because it gets, like I've been saying, it gets Egypt out of us they escape from Egypt, that's like a person getting saved we get saved, we have that zeal, we have that oh my gosh this is wonderful and all these things happen but then you, all of a sudden that goes away And because you go from, salvation takes you into the desert. Any form of liberation puts you in the desert. Deliverance, desert. Salvation, desert. People say, well, that doesn't sound good. It's a gift. It's a season of time that you are given to now, yes, you're out of Egypt, you're out of the world, but now I need to get the world out of you. Why? And in that season, it's the exact season that God gives you to prepare you to become a blessing to others, to prepare you for Canaan. Now let me say this, because while we're on this track, let's keep at it. We decide how long that season is. Not always, but a lot of the time. Not always, because sometimes there's things beyond our control. But there are parts of that season that we decide, friends, choices. And bad choices come from bad believing. Like you see, let's choose Moses, let's choose another leader and go back to Egypt. Why? Because they heard bad report, which made them believe the wrong thing, which equal to bad choices. Because they couldn't see with eyes, the people couldn't see with eyes of faith. So now we're fast forwarding. So I, I was going to do this wonderful recap, but we're talking about that's a culture of belief. We have to believe in the mandate that God has set over this church. And if you're a member of this church, I encourage you, you have to believe it too. Doesn't mean you're going to answer to God for it, but believe it. Because Moses absolutely believed that they were going to enter the promised land. Moses said, yes, let's go in. He wouldn't have sent spies if he didn't think they would go in. Hello? He believed, we're going in. God brought us for that. Did they go in? No. Can the leader, leadership, believe these, these promises of God for us and the people not enter? Yes. Doesn't mean it's your fault, doesn't mean it's my fault, it just is. And it takes a group of people to say, God, we say yes to the specific man that you've given us, without trying to compare and be like everyone else, so that we can take hold of what you've given for us. And that has to become clear, the parameters have to be set in place. That's why every church is different, friends, and celebrate their differences, Celebrate it. It's it's a wonderful thing. But there, and when you do your specific thing, you bring to that region the exact ingredient that God wants you to bring. Amen. The gift, the desert is a gift. And the desert is a time and a season we are given an opportunity to learn the lessons we need to learn so we can take hold of what we need to take hold of. Now, fast forward 40 years. Not in your life. Because that's not a pleasant image for you. But fast forward 40 years, Joshua stands now in the same place. I just want you to hear me out. Joshua stands in exactly the same place that he stood 40 years previous. Here he stands at the Jordan again, looking at the promised land again. Now we read the Bible and we know, well, Joshua is awesome, so he's going to take him in because we have the end of the story. Joshua didn't have the end of the story. And you know what actually happened? If you read it, it says, we you know the scripture, Joshua 1, do not let the, 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 uh, the law of God depart from your mouth. You know, the, the book of the law. He was the first person to get that book, you realize. Moses just finished writing it. Think about this, friends. He wrote it. Closed the book. Here we go, Joshua. Moses goes up Mount Nebo and says, God buries him there joshua's got this book god says read the book it's a good book i wrote it it's a big deal moses is the first one i mean joshua is the first one now joshua stands there not feeling like moses let me be vulnerable i've stood here not feeling like my dad many times even before it took over but bible says arise joshua arise there is a rising that has to take place in, for, in leadership in order for the people to go in. But he says this, he says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, Joshua 1.1, 1, 1, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Some of you will get this joke. I couldn't help think but assistant to the manager. Moses' assistant. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them. Why does leadership need to arise? For them? These guys are laughing at me. Sorry. For them or for the people? For the people. He says, I'm going to give land to them. You need to wake up. You need to arise. Never mind, Joshua, I'm so sorry that your spiritual father has died. You know, just take your time. Get over it. Just take some friends. Leadership is, is just not like that. Joshua, get up. I have promises for my people. Wake up. Let's go. Then he says, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness. And then he, he stretches out an actual place. From the far of the wilderness... And Lebanon, this far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. There are territories that God has given us that are actually ours in the spirit, yet you still have to fight in the spirit and in the natural to take them. But they've been given to you. But you still have to go take them. Very, very important, friends. They're yours. All things... On the, the Bible says every blessing is yours in, spiritual, in heavenly places. It's yours, but you've got to go and get them. Where do you go? In the heavenly places. That's where they are. And that's what these guys are showing us. Now Joshua stands here. 40 years has passed. we Are going to finish at 12.15 today? Just so you know. Well, it's okay. We've got some time. Joshua stands here, I I think his heart was, Lord, do we go in this time? Do I send spies? Last time we sent spies. That didn't work out so well. Do I send spies? Don't I send spies? Are the people gonna believe or they're not gonna believe? Do I believe? Am I have do I have the ability to lead them? Do I not? Just imagine, friends. What happens if we don't go in this time, Lord? Please, Lord, no more 40 years in the desert. Please, I've been here for 40 years. I know Moses is here for 40 years, but that will make 80 for me. You're a just God. That would be unfair. So I think we should go. Whatever the... <laughs> there was stuff he was thinking. Very, very important. And that's why I say the first one is a culture of belief. We have to believe in the promises. Otherwise, you will not go in. For us corporately, but also for you individually. And the second one is culture of generosity. These are practical cultures that have to be developed so that they prosper. So I spoke about finances last week, and we're going to speak about serving this week. Now, I'm way down on my notes, but I'm okay with that. Now, Joshua 1, let's just read a little bit. Let's go to verse uh, 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Friends, it's important that we know that. I can know that for me, you have to know that for you. Most people think, well, God is with leadership. Friends, God is with you. And I, I've heard the Lord say that to me, and yet still I've had to be reminded of it. We were in the cafeteria, it's 2008. I was getting ordained as one of the elders in the church. I'd had a car accident the night before. I be- the devil tried to literally take me out, kill me. Some of you might remember. I should have gone to the hospital. I was too stubborn and proud, and I did not. Now I was standing there in pain, about to be prayed for. And we were worshiping, and all of a sudden I heard in my head, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. But that's for me. And let me tell you, when things don't go so well, Lord, do you remember? You told me this thing once. I mean, did you change your mind? You know, because we don't think like he thinks. This cable's kind of driving me a little crazy. Maybe if we do a little round the back deal, yeah? All right, let's see if that works. But friends, you have to hear that for you. I can't hear that for you. I can tell you this is what the Lord says to you, but you've got to hear it. Because then it will be tested. And when things are tested, you'll know God said he's with me. And you know who reminded them to me often was my father. He's a good father. I'd go through struggle and say, Dad, I just don't know about this. And he said, the Lord told you he's with you. What's the problem? That's literally what he would say. He said, God told you he's with you. Like Joshua, What? what's your issue? We've got to hear it for ourselves. He said, I will be with you always. As I was with Moses, I will not leave you, I will not forsake you. Be strong and courageous, be strong and of good courage. For to this, good courage, you realize? Not just normal courage. I like that. Your courage has to be good. And courage is not the absence of trauma, it's to face it. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Now, why do we speak of spiritual inheritance? Why is it an inheritance. Why do they use the word inheritance? Why? Because their father should have taken it. Hello? Their father should have taken it and it should be an inheritance to them. God said, I will give you that inheritance that should belong to you. Just because they couldn't do it, it'll be your inheritance. Inheritance, something you don't work for. Now, what's interesting, that's probably my greatest desire. And I've said that before. My greatest desire is to see people around me come into what God's called them to what God called them to and that's what it means to divide the inheritance and that's the difference between a Moses and a Joshua figure. Moses was a deliverer leader. Friends, and I'm not trying to draw a comparison between me and my dad, but please. But yet it's almost, that's my father. He's a deliverer leader. He's a Moses figure. That's why he operates the way he does. But someone's got to go in. So that you have many deliverer leaders, many people being a blessing. And that takes a person who says, my greatest desire is to see, I want to just stand and say, deliver their inheritance. That's yours, that's yours, that's yours, that's yours, that's yours, that's yours. Just facilitate. I want to facilitate what God wants to do. Whether I'm involved or not, it's to facilitate, God, what do you want to do with your people? Then it says, only be strong and very courageous. It's getting worse. Imagine Joshua going, my goodness. He's saying that more than once. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do all according to the law which my Moses servant commanded you to do. Just recognize the insecurity, friends. Moses, my servant, is dead. So Joshua, no title. You, hey, you little guy over there, I need you to do some stuff. Because my servant, he's dead. Just, friends, he's a man of flesh and blood. I can guarantee you, with, now what's interesting is at the end of Joshua's life, you go read the Deuteronomy, I mean uh, the end of Joshua. It says, Joshua, my servant. He grew into it. Which Moses, my servant, commanded you, do not turn from the right hand to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. What's that? Focus. Stay Focused. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do all according to that is written in it. For then your way shall be prosperous. Go to verse 10. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, pass through the camp, command, prepare provisions. Friends, that's what we're talking about, body life. Prepare to go in. It takes a preparation to go in. Prepare. You've got to be prepared. I'm going to have to hurry up. Then he goes to all the tribes. That's the and Reubenites and Gadonites and all the rest of them, all the ites. Then we go to verse 14. It says, your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on the side of the Jordan. He's speaking to uh, Caleb and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and you'll see that. But you shall pass before your brethren, armed when all your mighty men are valiant, and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest, as he gave you. Because their inheritance was on this side of the Jordan. That's Caleb, the one who God said, you know, he's a little crazy, but I like him. That's Caleb. Okay, And he gave you, and they also taken possession of the land which the Lord has given them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side of the Jordan towards the sunrise. So they answered Joshua, saying, All that you command us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go, just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Now, if you read that not too carefully, you'd be like, you didn't heed Moses very well. <laughs> However, they actually did. Why? This was not the first generation of Israelites. This was the second. And the people that are speaking to Joshua are those people's kids. We're saying, Lord, we, will, we, we heeded Moses. Our parents, they were a little nuts, but we're going to heed you because we don't want to die in the desert. Hello? So, now they're facing this story. What's the general story? I have a mandate for you. I have a mission, Joshua, he says. He says, I want you to include all the people. I don't want you to go in. I want you to include all the people. He says, I have a spacious place. He says, you will divide an inheritance. It will take extreme courage. Now, the vision God sets before Joshua is impossible. We have a vision, encounter. That's impossible in the flesh. To be a house of encounter. A house where people will come and actually encounter the Lord. Any vision that God gives that can be accomplished by flesh is not from the Lord. Because then it's the glory of a man. I heard this tra- hmm I don't know if I should say this. I heard a tragic story a little while ago about a church somewhere, someplace. There were a large church. I'm trying to give it as vague as I can. And one of the leaders said, "Man, we're growing so much, we're having up to eight shows a day." And I heard that I thought shows. It's not a show. And I heard three other people tell me we walked in, then we walked straight out because the first thing we felt was a vacuum. It's the Holy Spirit. Yet thousands and thousands of people. Eight shows a day. And I thought, my goodness, what's gone wrong? The people forty years previous were not ready to go in. Look at the difference in attitude, just general. Now, we're going to go into this for the next few weeks. You cannot just read Numbers 13 and 14 and say, well, we need to change some things to go in. That's kind of depressing. You also got to look at the people who went in and how they thought. Look at the difference. The people from 40 years ago, what was their view of God? Why did you bring us out into the desert to die God? Didn't understand God's heart. What was their estimation of leadership? Get rid of these guys. Let's pick someone else so we can go back to Egypt. What was their ability to hear, in their ability to hear the voice of faith? Stone them with stones. Remember we discussed this last week? Silence the ones with faith. Kill them. They're irritating. Just get rid of them. What was their, in their their warfare? They could not warfare. No warfare. Had no courage. They could not fight for what is theirs. What was their response? It says they wept and cried aloud. There was no warfare capacity in them yet. In their speech, they complained. That's all they did—complained. But you look at these people. What do they say? All that you command us, we will do. Everywhere, wherever you send us, we will go. God be with you. Very different people. Very different attitude. Very different heart very different spirit they're standing in the same place their parents did 40 years ago under Moses I wrote you they received liberation over and over and over and over again and friends I saw some of this with the youth now it's good because they saw God's power but we saw the Lord's power there real power real the real thing Saw people shake, cry, scream. Hours and hours and hours. Stuff that would make many of you uncomfortable. We saw God do it. We saw God do it to such an extent. There were evenings and there were nights when I said to Jen, I don't even know how to, I cannot control this. I have no control over it. I don't even know what's going on. Because God was there. There were times I literally sat down I said I don't know what to do because there were people I mean literally around corners screaming demons coming out shaking violently for hours I long to see that here makes some of you uncomfortable but that's good it is God doesn't operate in human comfort zone Go find a place in scripture and show me where he does it. I long to see that here. But let me tell you, they went through some people, had the same deliverance, had the same over and over and over and over, because I was a Moses in a sense figure to them. And that's what the first generation had under Moses. But what was the pattern? Get upset, complain, God get mad. Now, God doesn't get like that with us. It's a different covenant. We get that. God gets mad. He does something. Moses, please don't kill them, Lord. Please, you know, whatever. God, your sons and wonders through Moses. Gee, Moses, you're amazing. God, you're pretty cool too. They have a good season. Then they complain. Then they get over and over and over for 40 years. That is what I see in the Western church. It's what I call, and don't get, it's consumerism mentality. I'm going to, you have all the churches laid out before you. Well, what can that church offer me? What can that church offer me? What can, what do they have? What do they have? Hmm, I don't like that. It's a consumerism mindset. That's Western church. That's first generation Israelites. Second generation, what can I bring? Whole different world, friends. Now, I'm not talking about family needs. Family needs. People need love. They need to be helped with freedom, deliverance, whatever. People. That's for family. I'm not talking family needs. I hope you hear my heart. But in any family, you get and you give. That's a family. First generation is consumer. We will consume everything they send us. Quail, man, the whole. Just we just consume it. Constantly. That's thinking. That's the thinking of Egypt that God couldn't get out of them. And I'm saying, and I'm trusting God this year, let us not be consumers. Let us serve. As a, who's ever heard the term Joshua generation? there's an old terminology, right? Some of you newbies, young ones, from way back from the 70s and 80s talks about a Joshua generation. Why did that term become so popular? Because it's those who say, who they have had such a heart change from their time in the desert that they're saying, God, I'll serve. I'll do whatever. I'll do it. I'm not doing that anymore. I'll do whatever you want me to do, so we go forward. And that's part of the culture of generosity, friends, is serve. here? Serve. Serve in this church. Not serve me. John Wimber said, one of the greatest sources of offense in any church is people who do things, and it's not for the Lord. People who do things, and it's not for the Lord. They said, why? He said, because people can serve and serve, but if they don't do it unto the Lord, when they're not thanked, when they're not seen, when they're, then they get offended. Do you know how much I've done you? He said, if it's for the Lord, they don't need that. I think that should still be given. I think give honor where it's due. But we will always miss people. We will always forget something. I mean, we're not. We are people. If you find a perfect church, as they say, don't join it. Because then it won't be perfect. But friends, it's the truth. For everything you do, do it unto Him. So we spoke last week, culture of generosity. This week, culture of service. Now I have seven, eight minutes to actually talk about it. But there's a major difference between the first generation of Israelites and the second. You know what? The second went in. If we are going to take hold of the promises that God has for us, we need to become a Joshua generation. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Darren. Darren, you're a great, man. Can we handle some Leviticus. You know what? We've got. There's another passage in Exodus. Let's go to that one. People have less of a... Leviticus, really? Alright, let's go to Exodus. Exodus 27. Or you can go to Leviticus 24. It's up to you. It's pretty much word for word. Exodus 27, go to verse 20. I just want to show you something. Now I've got a whole teaching on service. We might have to get to it next week. It's very important, friends, to see this. This is a very obscure passage. People say, what are you talking about? Can I go through this fast? Exodus 27:20 20. You shall command, now this is what, friends, this is the desert. This is what the children of Israel, this next generation did all their lives. This is one of the lessons that they learned. You shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually in the tabula, tabernacle of meeting. Outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to generations, to their generations, on behalf of the children of Israel. Now, you say, well, that's great. What is what's going on? Very simply, who knows the lampstand made from pure gold, the holy place, the most holy place, the holy place, and all the different courts? The lampstand. What does that represent? Book of Revelation, if you don't do the things you did at first, I will remove your lampstand. It's not salvation. I believe, personally, it's the mandate that God places upon a person or upon people. It's the purpose. What does the lampstand hold? Oil. It's the anointing. It's the call, the gifts, the mandate upon a people, the mandate upon a church. Now we're talking about, now whenever we read the Old Testament, we know we read it through New Testament eyes. We're talking about the care of the lampstand. There's lessons in there that we could preach on for years, just those three verses. Why so important? He says, "Command the children of Israel to bring pure oil of pressed olives." Where are they living? In the desert. Do you think there's an abundance of olive trees, <laughs> or do you think they were scarce? Very scarce. You go look it up in history, it'll tell you. They were there, because olive trees, I know Jesus has been to Israel, so you can probably tell us more. But there were olive trees. Olive trees lived for up to a thousand years. They're one of the oldest living trees. But there were olive trees there, but they were scarce. And the commentary says this. Olives would form on a tree and turn dark green. When they are ripe, they turn black. And inside the olive are a couple drops of liquid. It's called liquid gold, they call it. This is what they call the beaten oil or the purest oil. And what they would do is you had have to extract that oil from the olive without squashing the olive. So when it says bring pure oil of, what is it, pressed olives, it's actually a bad translation. The real word there is, and it's important, um, I thought I wrote it down, is better translated as to tearing or to cut in pieces. How tedious is this? Now, you're talking supply and demand, Not a lot of olives. So it's something very valuable, very precious. They would take these olives and they would have to gently tear it open without squashing any of the substance or cut it open with a sharp knife. And and be very careful. And inside there were just a few drops of oil. How long do you think it took? A while. Then they would take the rest of the olive and they would squeeze that, and, and that would be oil for cooking and so forth. But the pure oil, it's called the, the, the beaten oil, would be translucent, not golden brown like you and I see in olive oil. It would be clear. And it wouldn't burn with any smoke. So when the, when the lamp burnt in the tabernacle, it wouldn't be smoke. A guy coughing, coming, <laughs> I can't breathe because there's all these candles burning. It was for anointing oil. Now, what's the point, friends? Who who's provided the oil? the people. I'll just read you my notes. The oil for me is the anointing. The lampstand, the mandate, the purpose, the oil, the anointing, to get the mandate, to get the job done. Hello? The light that emits from that is what Paul said to the Thessalonians. He said to the Thessalonians, I'm almost done, then we'll, I'll explain. Not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone out everywhere. That's the gospel coming out of a church. That's the emittent of the light. Now, who remembers their little children's church song? This little light of mine. Okay, great. My wife will sing it for you. You don't want me to sing it. I'm going to let it shine. To see the light. We are sitting on a hill. To see the light shine out of a church. It takes... People bringing their strength, bringing their gifts, bringing their talents of something that was very rare. What are two of the most precious things to people besides for our family? Money and time. I get it. Time, I get it. I have two little kids. No time. None. I wake up in the morning. I'm busy. open my eyes. Daddy, daddy, daddy. I'm busy straight away because there's my son. Daddy, dad. I mean, I get it. I get it. Money and time. You know what you know the concept of the first fruits talking about finance. You know what Israel used to call that that oil? The first fruits of the olive. First fruits. And the children of Israel would take their first fruits of their oil, first fruits of the olive. They would get the other oil. They would take that precious oil and they were commanded to bring it to Aaron and to his sons, and it says that the the fire in the, the lampstand had to burn continually. With the scarce product, they had to go get enough of it to allow that thing to never go out. And that was a representation of the fire of God burning in the camp. And it's like that in church today, friends. If we are going to succeed in the mandate that God has called us to, the fire needs to not go out. The problem is the culture, the consumeristic culture is, well, that's up to the one guy, or that's up to the three guys or to the leaders. I don't see that here. It doesn't mean it places upon you, but imagine a church where you don't have the 20-80 syndrome. We have 80-20 or 90-10. 80-90% of people are getting involved and serving in any capacity that they can why? It's them bringing their oil. It's the first fruits. It's them bringing the finances. What can that church accomplish in the spirit and in the natural if that is actually taking place? Well, the light can begin to shine. You can begin to have effect on that region. You can, that's what will happen. Thanks, Bev. I got an amen. But who tends it? The leadership. We don't like that. We don't like to hear it. I'll read it. Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening until morning. Here's the scary part. Before the Lord. People say, well, I want to lead. You tend it before the Lord. I will one day stand before the Lord for the light that shines out of this church. If you want to do the same, we can have a conversation. Friends. Is no small thing. Now we're not saying this, give us all your money, give us all your time. No, friends. I'm saying biblically as a shepherd, this is what I see in scripture. And I see that as part of the culture. That second generation of Israelites knew that. How often do you think the parents gave their children that duty? Just let's be real. Get the bowl of olives. Kids, get the oil out. Tedious to provide oil for the lamp. So you can see that it's finance, you can see that it's serving. I've always seen it as people bringing their best, people bringing their strength, people bringing what they have to say, because friends that you're serving in God's house, you're serving in God's kingdom so that God's light may shine into a region. We are called, as I said, to be a place of encounter so that we can equip, but like a second-generation gener- Israelites, we have to build strength. So why? So we can host the community. My wife said this to me. She's a little wiser than I. She has a way of putting things. I will be in counseling, and I'll talk, talk, talk. And then she said that they say, now I understand. <laughs> Great. She'll say this, and then I'll be done. People at the airport, they don't look excited to be there. We was speaking about this. My wife said, oh, it's like people at the airport. I said, what are you talking about? She said, the people at the airport, they don't want to be there. They don't look excited. You know, the people who host you and do the, the stuff, they're rude. And they don't want to be there. They're not excited to be there. It's a mundane, thankless task. But without them, nobody can go anywhere. They facilitate us being able to travel anywhere in the world. Friends, we as a church host a community, and there are certain tasks, certain things that have to be done that may seem tedious, especially not having our own facility, that may seem thankless. We are hosting a community. To us, it's mundane. Some of you do some of the most mundane things, and I tell you, some of you have served for 10 years, and I cannot tell you how grateful I am, but more important, the Lord Because there's a revelation in your heart that we host a community. and When the community comes, we're the people at the airport. Because unless we get that right, we will never see the community come. Hello? And not all of you will do all of it. And I'll end there. We'll continue next week. But not all of you can do stuff in the week. Some of you, it's impossible. Commute two hours, it's impossible. But you can come on a Sunday and greet. There's there's something for every person to do. Hello? Are you with me? Yeah. So body life. Why don't you stand?